your word as we seek to come together and to hear from you god we ask that you would speak to us we ask that we might hear not from a man but from the very words of god and so we ask that those words would do what they have always done for thousands and thousands of years that they might change people like us and make us more into the look and likeness of your son jesus christ in his honor and for his glory and in his name we pray amen uh in this service maybe a few more than in last service would know about this there was an album that was released this week maybe the most notable album of 2019 uh came from an unlikely source at least for us to talk about in church um, under the title of Jesus is King. Some of you may know about this album. It's by Kanye West, right? Kanye West of Taylor Swift fame and uh, all sorts of different infamous reasons. Uh, it's interesting because this morning and for the past several weeks, we've been talking about Jesus being king in the kingdom of God. Sometimes we knew it and sometimes we didn't. I actually wanted, uh, two weeks ago, Michael, I don't, he wasn't making fun of me. I don't want to say he was making fun of me. Uh, but he mentioned that I am big on context, and so um, that's what we're going to do this morning. So if you want to, you can turn back to chapter 17. Uh, we could have gone further, but I, I decided to stop at just chapter 17. We'll be in chapter 19 uh, this morning, but we're going to start in chapter 17. And I, I want to show us how this idea of kingdom, of the kingdom of God and Jesus being king, has been kind of building up, up to our passage this morning, and it's going to kind of come to ahead and it's actually going to answer three of the questions that arise from these passages number one uh or first when we get to verse 20 we see uh that the pharisees have been asking about the kingdom of god they want to know about the kingdom of god and the details about the kingdom of god it's something that people have been actually asking for the last two thousand years when's the kingdom of god going to happen and only fools really seek to answer that question and so we see with this passage, we see once again a refocus on this kingdom of God. We can turn to the very next passage. Michael brought this up two sermons ago. Uh, it's actually when he started talking about context. And he reminds us that the parable of the persistent widow is not a parable in uh, all of it by itself, as if this story was just written down on a piece of paper and outside of a context. It comes directly after this idea about the coming of the kingdom. And so we see this uh, reminder to pray consistently in light of the kingdom. And Jesus finishes that passage in verse 8 of chapter 18 by saying, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So now we see another idea is dropped into our little bucket as we move forward. He then goes and tells another parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous about a Pharisee and a tax collector. Plug that little tax collector in for just uh, for later because we're going to get back to that. But he tells about a Pharisee who comes to the temple to pray and does so by talking about how great he is to Jesus or to the Father. And then he talks about how uh, this tax collector came to temple to pray. You'll remember from your Bible history that tax collectors are not good people. We don't view them as good people. They were people who were Israelites. They were Jewish by descent, by ethnicity. But then when Rome took over, they saw that they could make some money and do pretty quite well by working for Rome 
and then taking the taxes of Israel and then giving the money to Rome and then taking usually a, a pretty good chunk off the top for themselves. So there were people who had sold out their brothers and sisters. They had sold out ethnic Israel. They had sold out the people of God in order to make a few bucks. Actually, quite, quite a few bucks, to be honest with you. And we see these two people contrasted. The Pharisee is the one that we expect to be the good guy in the story, and he ends up being a jerk that only cares about himself, self-righteous, thinking he had done enough in of himself. The tax collector we expect to be someone who only cares about himself, and it turns out that he realizes that he is the jerk and asks God to forgive him. Passage ends there with, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So now we've got the idea of kingdom, we've got the idea of faith, and now we've got the idea of humility. Jesus or, and Luke puts these two passages next to each other, and it makes complete sense. Now, when Jesus brings the children to him and says, Let the children come to me, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. So now we've got the idea that it's those who receive the kingdom of God like a child that belong to the kingdom of God. These ideas are starting to connect, but there's still a lot of of holes. Then we get to last week's sermon where we have the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and seems to be abiding by the law. We could even say the law of the old kingdom. And Jesus asked him a pretty pointed question. Will you sell all that you have and follow me? And he goes away sad. Jesus then says this, right? He says, how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter into the kingdom of God. Right? The disciples respond to that statement with a question, not who then can enter into the kingdom of God, but who then can be saved. Right? Who then can be saved? So now we've got the idea of kingdom, the idea of salvation, and the idea, once again, of self-righteousness, of humility. Jesus then tells the disciples again for the third time that he is going to die. This is another reminder of what's going on in the story. We are headed to Jerusalem, not we ourselves, but Jesus, where we are in the book of Luke, is headed to Jerusalem. In fact, our passage this morning will be the next to last passage before Jesus actually gets to Jerusalem. And we know, because we know our Bible, what will happen when he gets there. Jesus reminds us, though, as we read through this, that when he gets there, he will be welcomed at first, but then he will be handed over. He will be crucified. He will be buried, and then he will be raised to life. Finally, the passage just prior to the one we will be in this morning in chapter 19, Jesus comes to Jericho. In that passage, we see as he drew near to Jericho a blind man. And this blind man calls him something very unique. He calls him the son of, not son of man, which is Jesus' favorite way of describing himself. He calls him the son of David. So the son of David is an important title, right? We know from Luke and Matthew's genealogies that from both sides of his family line, although one was adopted and one was biological, that Jesus comes from the line of David. But more so than that, the title Son of David was the title for the the Messiah, the one who would fulfill the prophecy that was given to David, that he would have one that would sit on his throne and he would rule forever and ever. As we go through the prophecy of Isaiah and we go through the prophecies that are interwoven into the Psalms, we can see that that king will be a great king and he will rule with truth and with justice. It is the same song that we get in Uh, Mary's song in Luke, 
right? That's the kind of king that Israel had been waiting for. And this blind beggar sitting outside of Jericho somehow knows that Jesus is this king. And then we get to this passage this morning, right? Jesus enters Jericho. Now, it's quick for us to turn off all of that and then go back to Sunday school where we know the story of Zacchaeus, who's this short little guy who ends up getting saved, right? And it's easy to do that, but try not to because this passage is not just printed out on a curriculum. This passage is in context of what's happened the last two chapters of chapter 17 and 18 of the book of Luke. So as we turn now, we've still got these two questions that are kind of popped up. And that is the question that we had from the disciples when Jesus says, well, then who can enter? Or sorry, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. The disciples respond, well, then who then can be saved? Right? The truth is, is that question has not been answered yet. Jesus said in response to that, it's impossible for man, but even the impossible things are possible for God. Right? But he never actually answered their question of who then can be saved. So we've got that looming over us as we get to the story of Zacchaeus. We've got, uh, we'd love some more details about why these blind people are calling Jesus the son of David. And what does that mean? And we're actually going to find a third question in this passage with Zacchaeus. So back to our passage in chapter 19, verse 1. He entered Jericho, that is Jesus, and was passing through. And, there, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. At this point, knowing all that we know from the last two chapters, the question should come up when we get to chapter 19 is... Really, I mean, I mean, I get, I get that, I get that all things are possible with God. But if the rich young ruler who had obeyed all the laws of the Old Testament couldn't get in, surely Zacchaeus doesn't get in, right? I mean, surely the kingdom is not full of guys like Zacchaeus, is it? Think, think about this: the rich young ruler had a few things going for him, and Zacchaeus doesn't even have those things going for him. The rich young ruler was faithful to God's people. He was with the temple. He was a a ruler in the temple with the Jewish people. He was loyal to the people that God had said, this is the chosen people. Zacchaeus wasn't loyal to the chosen people. As we just said, he had sold them out just to get some coin. Not only that, we're going to see a little later that he's got a terrible reputation. You remember last Sunday, Michael said, the rich young ruler is the kind of guy that we would like. If he joined our church, we'd probably make him a deacon, right? He obeys all the law. He looks good. People like him. No one likes Zacchaeus. I wouldn't like Zacchaeus, right? He's the guy that comes knocking on your door. And when you owe, you know, 10 denarii, he asks for 20, right? And you have to give it to him. He's a jerk. He only cares about Zacchaeus, right? Maybe he has a little Napoleon complex. I don't know. But there's some issue here that no one likes Zacchaeus. He has nothing going for him. In fact, the 
He has one thing in common with, with the rich young ruler, and it's the very thing that Jesus said makes it hard to enter the kingdom of heaven, right? He's rich. He's got all this money. Jesus just told us that it's difficult for people who are rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. So at this point in the story, we're going, well, there's no way that Zacchaeus is getting in. I don't know what Jesus is going to do here, but there's no way a guy like Zacchaeus is in the kingdom. And I do this today with people I know, people I don't know. There's no way a guy like that gets in, right? The kingdom of heaven is supposed to be full of people like me, right? It's supposed to be full of like good people, right? Who like love people and care for people. The kingdom of heaven is made up of people like Micah. Good people, right? So at this point, I'm asking, the text is asking, Who can be saved? Who gets into the kingdom? Not somebody like Zacchaeus, right? Please, not somebody like Zacchaeus. So we see, verse 4, So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. That is, he was seeking to see Jesus, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, i got to stop because we're about to answer the second question of who is this son of David? Right? The one that the blind man called the son of David. Who is this king of the kingdom? Who is this guy who is going to come and he is going to rule and reign in this world? And he doesn't come like any king I've ever read about in history. He walks down the streets of Jericho and he sees one of the most hated men in the town in a tree. Right? I mean, in a tree. And he looks up at him, and he says, Zacchaeus? He knew his name, and he bothered to say it, right? I mean, that alone is something. And sometimes it's easy to pass over that, but that alone is something. When I was in, in college, um, I went to a smaller school. It had four, four, about 4,000 students when I was there. I think it's grown a little bit since I've left, but it had about 4,000 students, but our um, president was known for knowing people. And he just, he just, he would know your name usually when uh, you'd speak to him. It was pretty neat. After a couple, you, you introduce yourself a couple times, and the third time he's like, hey, Mike, how's it going? And uh, one summer I was at, actually, I think I was at the SBC convention, and uh, there was an event for people uh, at the school, and so I went and spoke went up and talked to him, and he said this. He said, I was, I was on the golf team at the time, and he said, Michael, you've had, a really good, you've had a really good season. And I said, yeah, the team's had a really good year. We've, um, yeah, we've had some really good tournaments. And he said, no, no, no. I mean, you personally have had a really good year. And it never would have ever even crossed my mind that he even bothered to care about what some mediocre golfer did at his school, Right? Um, it's not like golf helps the school in any way for reputation or money or anything. We actually were a net loss on the, on the budget sheet. So, you know, really, it'd probably be helpful for us just to be cut out. But, but he cared about me in that moment in some little way. That's what Jesus is like in this moment. That's the kind of king Jesus is in this moment when he walks up to a tree and looks up and sees the most hated person in the town. I think it's easy to assume that. He looks up and he sees them and he says, Hey, Zach. Hey, Zacchaeus. 
right? And then he goes on. Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Jesus wants to spend time with Zacchaeus. He wants to spend time with Jesus, not out in the open necessarily, not just out in the open at least, but he wants to spend time with him in his home, presumably over a meal. And this is the no-no, right? I mean, this is the big deal. This is, you don't do this. You don't eat with sinners or tax collectors. The Pharisees keep bringing this up all throughout Jesus' ministry. Jesus, what are you doing? A Messiah wouldn't do this. The king wouldn't do this, right? You don't go to the people who have sold out your nation, who have been rebels to the cause, and treat them like friends. But he eats with them. He goes to his house, and he hangs out with him. And Jesus, in this moment, becomes, by every measure, a friend of sinners. We, we know that. We, we know that part of the story. We know that that's who Jesus is, at least in our head. But it's so easy to forget that the one whom we pray to is a friend of sinners. Not just forgiven sinners, not just repentant sinners, not former sinners. He is a friend of sinners. And it is easy to have our quiet time when we've had a great day, and it is difficult to have our quiet time and go and run to him when we've messed everything up, not just by running late, but by sinning, right? By running to things that he hates, right? That that are defiled and wicked. And when we do that, it is easy to be like, well, Jesus wouldn't want anything to do with me right now. And when we do that, we are believing lies because Jesus is a friend of sinners. And he comes in and he meets Zacchaeus, a man, a traitor, a thief, a swindler. And he says, I want to hang out with you. I want to spend some time with you, Zacchaeus. He doesn't wait for Zacchaeus to yell at him. He doesn't wait for Zacchaeus to get his attention. He walks up to the tree and he makes the first move, which is good, right? Because Zacchaeus probably wouldn't have said anything if we take Ephesians 2 seriously, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Dead people don't ask for help, right? So Jesus makes the first move, and we should be glad that he does. Zacchaeus would be glad that he did. So we see that this son of David has become a son of man who walks on this earth and is seeking out people to join his kingdom. And then finally, we get our third question, which is going to come up in the text. So Zacchaeus hurried and came down and received him joyfully. He received him joyfully. You know, last week, the rich young ruler, right? He gets told, Jesus tells him, I I want you to sell all you have and come and follow me. And the rich young ruler went away sorrowfully. He went away in sorrow. He went away weeping. Jesus says, I want to follow you home. And he says, great, right? I think Zacchaeus knows, I think through the text, Zacchaeus knows that this is going to mean that things are going to have to change if Jesus comes and enters his house. That Jesus is going to require some things to be different from the man that Zacchaeus was. And Zacchaeus came down joyfully. I love that. I love how he is different from the rich young ruler so much. Verse 7, And when they saw it, they all grumbled.
It's easy to, to make ourselves the, the Zacchaeus in this story, the one that Jesus saves, the one that Jesus loves. But you know who I find in my heart is the Pharisee, who when Jesus saves people that I don't like, I go, mm, is he really going to do that? Right? Mm, is this for real? Is this a thing? Like, Jesus is really going to save this guy? I'll say this in the second service. I didn't say it in the first service. That Kanye West album, maybe he is a believer. Maybe Jesus really did save him. Maybe it's, it's legit. Maybe the gospel is really that cool and it really did happen in his life. I hope so. I really do. But man, it is so easy for me to go, mm, I don't know. A guy like that? Mm, I don't know. There's probably something else going on here. It can't be that Jesus just saved a guy like that miraculously. There's got to be something else going on, right? That's my heart, right? And maybe it turns out that that seed, right, does face persecution and it withers away and it doesn't last. It could be that that happens. But there's something wrong in my heart when I doubt the gospel, when I doubt that Jesus could love somebody like that and save somebody like that. That's on me. They grumbled. And Zacchaeus stood and said, to the Lord. Okay, sorry, I, I need to finish that, the verse before that. He has gone into the guest of a man who is a sinner, and Zacchaeus stood and defended himself. No, verse 8 says, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Jesus, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone over anything, I restore it fourfold. Zacchaeus does something amazing in that moment when he's called a sinner. It's not what I would have done, right? I would have been like, Hey, Jesus, don't listen to them. I've made some mistakes. I get it, right? I've, I've made a few things, but ultimately it's just a bad rap, right? Ultimately, they don't like Rome. They're blaming me for it. It's not really, I'm not really as bad as they say I am. Zacchaeus doesn't do any of that here. Zacchaeus says, maybe they're right. I'm going to do some things differently, right? Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. And so we get our third question that comes from this text. Who is a son of Abraham? What a weird thing to say, right? Now, we could take it genealogically, DNA testing, right? We could 23 and me this. And a son of Abraham is just an ethnic Jew, right? That is the line of Abraham. We know John the Baptist, though, would refute that, right? He told the Pharisees right at the beginning, you think it's special that you come from the line of Abraham? Jesus can raise up, or God can raise up sons of Abraham from these stones right here, right? So there's more going on with this son of Abraham line. Paul picks up on this. Apparently Paul loves this phrase, son of Abraham. He uses it in like four, maybe even five of his letters, son of Abraham. And he says in Galatians 3, verse 7, it is those who have faith who are the sons of Abraham. So what is Paul picking up on there? He's picking up on Genesis, actually Genesis 15, where Abraham is out in, uh, you know, idol-worshiping country, the land of Ur, and God calls him and says, hey, Abraham, I'm going to do this amazing stuff through you. I mean, I'm going to do some really amazing things through you, but you've got to pack up everything that you own and every person that you love, and you've got to leave the place that you've always known your entire life. And Abraham says, cool, where are we going? And God says, I'm not going to tell you until we get there. You're just going to have to follow me. And Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And what Jesus says in this moment is, is that this Zacchaeus has believed 
God, and I will count it to him as righteousness. Now, it's interesting because Zacchaeus didn't get up and say, Jesus is really the Son of God. He will die on the cross and be resurrected on the third day. And I really believe that that will save me from my sins, right? It's it's odd. We think of faith in these things. What do I believe, right? What are these factual things that I know have happened and I believe it? Or things that God has promised and they will happen. And this is uncomfortable for us because what Jesus is responding to in this passage is Zacchaeus doing something, right? We don't believe in in works-based salvation. We don't, right? And this passage doesn't teach it either, right? But as Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, you don't actually have faith until you obey. Or we can go to the gospel, or not the gospel of James, but the letter of James, who says, you want to show me your faith without works? I'll be happy to show you my faith by my works. Right? It's the same principle. The truth is, is that a faith that is in my heart or in my mind, and it's never in my hands and feet, is not real. It's, it's not that it's not complete. It's that it's not even real in my heart. You're fooling yourself. You're lying to yourself. Right? It's what 1 John also says, right? 1 John 1. That you can't claim to be in the light and love the darkness. That's not how it works. If you, if you actually are in the light, you will be in the light. And then 1 John 1, 9 gives us this great, great little you know, like caveat. And when you do sin, confess your sins, right? Zacchaeus shows that he is a son of Abraham by giving of this great faith. And what is his faith in this moment? Well, I think it actually starts a little bit earlier than this repentance. I think it actually starts before he even meets Jesus. Because what does Zacchaeus do? He climbs up in a tree, right? He climbs up in a tree to see Jesus. Who climbs up in trees? I mean, really, who does that? Children do that. That's who. Zacchaeus wanted to be with Jesus, and it led him to acting like a child. Isn't that what Jesus just said? If you do not receive the kingdom of God like a child— you don't have the same heart that says, listen, I look ridiculous to everybody here. I don't care. I just want to see Jesus. And in that moment, when Zacchaeus is pulling people aside, and he's saying, you know, two months ago, I told you, you owed me 15. You really only owed me 10. So I lied. I stole five from you. So I'm going to give you 20 back, right? In that moment, do you think he would rather be embarrassed by climbing a tree or by admitting all the times that he had stolen? I think he'd rather climb a tree 10 times, honestly, right? Than have to admit all the people that he's stolen from and lied to, repented of sin, confessed sin to other people, and then made it back. Sometimes it's embarrassing to be a Christian. It's it's embarrassing to come to your wife and to say, I, I, I was mean to you the other day. And I was mean to you not simply because I was tired or not simply because I was frustrated. I was mean to you because I wanted what I wanted. And you weren't giving it to me. You weren't being nice to me. You weren't doing it quick enough. Whatever, right? And, and in that moment, I was only caring about myself. Soon, it will be embarrassing to go to my child and to say, when I, when I got on to you for that, I was, I was angry. 
And I yelled at you in anger, not in discipline and loving you. I, I yelled at you because I was mad, because you weren't loving me the way I wanted to be loved. It's easy to do that. It is easy to think things and say things when I drive home. And it's embarrassing to have to confess them to people. But that's, that's what it means to be a child. That's what it means to have faith. But can I give you the, the hope of all this? Like, here's the thing about the kingdom. Is that if Jesus is really on the throne right now in, in our kingdom, and he's called us to act out in faith and to confess our sins and to make it right, then we can trust him. Sometimes I think we think of Jesus being the king of the kingdom, like being the president, right? And he's going to create some rules, and he'll do some things, and then like our lives are pretty much going to be like our own. Like we get the freedom. We, it's this, uh, in some ways what we've done, in all honesty, is we've taken the American Constitution and Bill of Rights, and we think that like the kingdom of heaven is going to work that way, right? I hate to tell you, but like Jesus is not going to be a libertarian king. He is going to tell us what to say and when to say it. He's going to tell us what to do and when to do it. And that's his right as a king. He's also going to get rid of sickness and death and pain and wickedness, which will be awesome. And we can trust a king like that. We can trust him when it doesn't make sense. We can trust him to go where we don't even know where we're going. We can trust him to say things and to do things that we don't want to do. We can trust him by just telling the truth when it'd be a lot easier to give a little white lie. We can trust him with our lives. We can trust him when the offering plate comes by. We can trust him because he is a king and he is on the throne. And if we believe that, then we will act like it. And so here's the, the, the great I mean, the great news of this passage is that, yeah, Zacchaeus gets to be in the kingdom of God because he doesn't deserve to be in the kingdom of God. And guess what? None of us deserve to be in the kingdom of God. None of us deserve to be in the kingdom of God. None of us deserve to be in the body of Christ. None of us deserve to be members of this church. When, when I read this passage, this is what what I kept thinking in the middle of the ser- in the middle uh, between the services is that it's easy to read this passage and think about man I'm so glad Jesus saves people like Zacchaeus and to not then follow it up with because I am like Zacchaeus right I am like Zacchaeus and maybe people don't know my reputation that's just because I'm good at hiding it right maybe my reputation is not as bad as Zacchaeus but the truth is if they knew if they knew all about me it would be. So brothers and sisters, you don't belong in the kingdom of God. You have nothing to offer Jesus. You have nothing to offer heaven. As Paul says to the church in what must have been a a really deflating passage, right? Look among you. Who is noble birth? Who is rich among you? Who is wise according to earthly wisdom? We are just a bunch of fools according to this earth except Jesus 
has saved us. The king has come into Jerusalem and he will die on the cross and he will be buried and he will be raised to life. And what he did on that cross will pay the penalty of our sin and he will give us his righteousness that we will get to wear like his armor. And so that when we come into the gates of heaven, we will come as Jesus himself would get to come. Because he has paid for our place to be there. And so we are there in his name. And so the gates of heaven are wide open for those who have faith in the Son and the King. And I love that that's our King. I love that we get a kingdom like that. I just, I just pray that I live just today like my king is on the throne. 